Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, its sequel, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and the third and possibly final uh, book in the series, Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, drops soon and very soon. Uh, coronavirus has thrown off a uh, launch date previously, so I'm done saying what date will be, but keep your eye on Middle Grade Ninja. It will be available very soon, middlegradeninja.com. In the meantime, get your uh, copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees for free as an ebook. It's as available as a paperback, an audiobook, but the ebook is free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. So get that. Come back, see me with money for the other two books. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about young adult horror tonight, and I have some of that under the super secret pen name Robert Kent. I've written all together now a zombie story, uh, which is about teenagers and the zombie apocalypse. You're going to have a good time. Uh, and then I've also got a serial uh, horror novel, The Book of David, which is a five volume serial horror novel. Uh, the first chapter of which is also available to download for free as an ebook whenever you're watching and listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Atheist buys a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. It is nuts. If you want to roll hard with Robert Kent, not Rob Kent, check out the Book of David, Chapter 1. As always, uh, keep your eye on middlegradeninch.com. Hundreds of interviews with literary agents, authors, publishing professionals, folks you'd be interested in. And that's it. That's plenty. My God, we've got two guests tonight. We don't have time for all this intro. Let's get to it. Uh, my guests this evening are Sandra Mitchell and Josh Burke, or Josh Burke and Sandra Mitchell. Uh, so my first question is, it's on the uh, book we're going to discuss tonight, Camp Murder Face, it says Josh Burke and Sandra Mitchell. So is that the official order? Or how did that get decided and worked out between you? It's alphabetical. But we also had a discussion with the editor that it needed to be an ampersand rather than an and because I was a screenwriter first. And ampersand means we wrote it together. And means we each took our own pass at it. And I'm like, no, we wrote this together. I'm not going to be the cleanup guy for kitten face Burke here. So, um, yeah, the names are listed in alphabetical order, but the ampersand is essential. I am a librarian by training, so alphabetical order is important. I thought you were going to tell him it was like, a, like we had a fight. <laughs> I'm saving the fight story for later. See, the thing we... On the what I wanted to do was on our author bios, I wanted it to say Josh Burke is a pen name for Sandra Mitchell and Sandra Mitchell is a pen name for Josh Burke. That way, even though my name is listed first, that's actually Sandra because her pen name is Josh Burke and my pen name is Sandra Mitchell. It's very confusing. <laughs> what I can do uh, in the editing for folks that are watching this on YouTube is I can put Sandra's face over you when you're speaking and your face over Sandra when she's speaking and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally <laughs> edit us all around production definitely do that <laughs> well, then, nah, do I'm going to have you uh, Snapchat face swap yeah I mean there, there should be an app for that just the author uh, yeah. face swap if not that yeah. sounds like a huge market people should be getting on that <laughs> yeah, yeah. if we it hold real that. still it should make it easier okay Hold still. Really, future generations get it exact. Perfect. <laughs> so where I usually start is because I'm terrible. I, I try never to summarize people's bios and people's books. Because if I summarize your book 
one, how painful for you to sit there and listen to me do that. But two, I'll spoil it. And if I say your bio, I'm definitely going to leave something out. So I'm going to ask Sandra to start because I know she is a Hoosier. And Hoosiers get uh, top preference on Middle Grade Ninja. That's just the way of it. <laughs> so Sandra, I'm part of Oh, really? That's uh, true. My mom's from, uh, my mom's from Randolph County. Uh, uh, All right, well, that gives, you, that gives you some second going street cred. <laughs> right. I, mean, I used to go every, used to go there every summer. I spent every summer in uh, Randolph County. Visit, we spent a lot of time in Muncie. I have, I have family in Muncie. I have family in Farmland, the city town. It's not a city. It's a town. It's a farmland. I have family okay. in Farmland. <laughs> I love Indiana. <laughs> Sandra can go first anyway. <laughs> After okay. you, Sandra. Oh, well, go ahead, Sandra. Oh, yes. No. You go ahead. It's going to get too confusing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my name is Sandra Mitchell. I grew up on the east side of Indianapolis. And I live on the south side of Indianapolis. And I am the author of more than 17 books for young adults and middle grade readers. Some of them are nonfiction. Uh, I have three anthologies because I like to ask my favorite authors to tell stories for me, 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 just me. Um, and then I share them with people. Uh, I am the co-author of Can't Murder Face with uh, Kitten Face Burke here. Kitten Face, whom I've known for many, many years, still has never bothered to give me a nickname. This is why I had to throw a glass at him the first time we met in person. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. Um, we have a, an interesting, somewhat tangled origin story because Josh's uh, first book, The Dark Days of Hamburger Halpin, was supposed to come out in 2009, which is when my first book, Shadowed Summer, came out. And then um, he smelled funny and we kicked him out of the clubhouse. Yeah. And kicked his book to the next year to 2010 and uh so the group that that i would that we were initially all in because we were all in 2009 um we kind of became the mentors to the 2010 group and so i don't even remember meeting josh simply that josh wasn't and then josh was it was like oh, <laughs> like let there be yep. josh <laughs> So is your um, life divided into uh, BJ and C or AJ before Josh and after Josh? Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we were both nominated for an Edgar Award for our first novels. We have lots of friends in common. And like I said, it, it, it's like there wasn't Josh and then there was Josh. There has always been Josh. I like to say we we go back to being live journal friends. I like to tell people that. Yeah. To make it yeah. clear how how long ago on the internet we were friends. Before we the we Russians live journal. Friends. Live journal. Before the Russians <laughs> owned live journal, we were live journal friends. <laughs> yep. Is live journal still around? Is that is that even a thing anymore? It still exists, but it's not really used very much anymore. Not not by Americans anyway, because well everything that was to do with um, fan fiction essentially fled because Russia has um, interesting censorship laws. And so we were all like, bye. And so now, I mean, there are people that, 
use it as a journal. I think Neil Gail- Neil Gaiman still has a life. I don't think he uses it. Um, it's one of those weird things. Maybe Amanda Palmer makes him use it. That's entirely possible. That could be like one of the things that they torture each other with. Go post on live journal. <laughs> Josh, I turn to you next. What is your overview and background? And also please tell us the story about how you met Sandra and possibly got some glass chucked at you. <laughs> yeah, so I am from Pennsylvania. I live in Bethlehem, PA, out uh, the eastern part of the state near um, near Jersey, uh, north of Philadelphia. I come from a family of librarians. My mom was a librarian at um, Lehigh University and then at Moravian College here in Bethlehem. My dad was the director of the public library. Um, I didn't know that we were doing family and, histories because, uh, like, my, my dad was a custodian and my mom is a dental technician, since that seems to be important. <laughs> Ooh, bio slam. <laughs> it's important to Fair enough. It's important to my origin story. <laughs> it's important to the origin story of, of author Josh Burke. I mean, everyone's, but I had two librarians for parents. So it's a fact that I always like to share. People, uh, uh, I like to, like the kids, I always tell them that. I always say, can you imagine that? Growing up with two librarians in the house. And it really was like, a, I don't know, it was a, it was a cool way to grow up. I was surrounded by books and uh, it was part of my life growing up. And then I was a little lost. But I ended up working in the library and, and then um, also always found a way to do writing. I, I did a lot of um, journalism and other types of writing while working at libraries. And then I was always kind of playing with a novel here and there. And then I went to graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and I had some really great literature courses, some professors who taught the classics of YA, but also like the modern exciting stuff that was happening in YA at the time. So that would have been, oh geez, 15 years ago now. But it's when um, yeah, I read Laurie Holt Anderson and Walter Dean Myers and um, right before John Green's first book came out, I guess. And so I started to get like, uh, you know, really interested in that, in that um, world and felt like the writing I was already doing kind of fit into it, even though I didn't think that's what I was doing when I started writing novels. I didn't think I was writing young adult books. But once I took that class and discovered that world, I got really um, I got really interested in it and, you know, wrote a few before I had any success. Uh, but, um, you know, really, really found my niche and found my joy writing for um, kids and teens. And, yeah, when my first book came out, uh, 2009, it was originally slated for, and then it got bumped to 2010 for whatever reason. But it was so great being part of those debut author communities that were, um, and still are, you know, a real supportive group of other writers. It's such a, it's such a weird new world, you know, when you first go into it, looking back on it, I'm really thankful to have people like Sandra and some of the authors, other authors I met at that time. And, you know, a lot, of, some of it was career advice and some of it was just talking you down off a ledge and a lot of it was just joking around. It, Sandra and I just kind of like immediately realized we had a similar sense of humor. And uh, we would make little funny videos together uh, to promote our <laughs> books or um, <laughs> we uh, we would do, um, you know, yeah, like little we, we angry each other for our blogs. Like we just did little funny things to try to, I don't know, just promote ourselves while uh, having fun being creative with one another. And that was, you know, 
that was a decade ago. It's crazy. Yeah. That was a, that was a quite quite a long time ago. And then you know, I had um, I, I have some. I like the way we were talking about the other day. Sandra was like, "Well, Josh had had an opening in his schedule," and I was like. I, I just couldn't get anything published. Like that's why it wasn't that I had an opening. It's a much better way to put it. But he makes, it, he makes it sound like he wrote one book and then it was like doo, 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 doo. no, he had like no, six books. He had like no, six I, books I, and then a gap. I had a gap. Yes, I did have a gap. And Sandra and I were goofing around. We had moved from Live Journal to uh, Facebook and MySpace and eventually Twitter, and we were <laughs> we were joking around on Twitter. Sandra, maybe you can tell better than I can. I don't even remember how the phrase can't, mer- can't murder face came up, but the title came up first. I mean, that's really what, that was the very first thing was, uh, I mean, I'm sure we had kind of entertained the idea of maybe working together on something in the in the back of our minds, but the phrase can't murder face just came up in Twitter conversation. I don't know that, that we correct? had really actually thought about working together. I, it was We always goofed around a yeah. lot on Twitter. And like Sarah Oakler, yeah. who wrote 14 Boy Summer, like she was always in the mix. And Z Brewer, they were always in the mix. And it was just a lot of late night goofing off um, and entertaining each other. And Josh said something about, uh, you know, that, that he was going to murder face somebody. And I thought that murder face was like the most hilarious word that I had ever heard. And like, we were all just riffing that night. And I said, Josh, Josh, we should write a book called can't murder face. And he's like, so what happens? Does everybody get murder faced? And Z Brewer is like, (laughs) every single person gets murder faced. Get me in there. And I mean, we, I mean, we joked about it for like two hours and you can still find like the, the tweet thread. If you search for murder face and us on Twitter, um, but we were just goofing off and, um, you know, I had gone in a couple of different directions because I was also trying to figure out like just where the market was because, um, you know, young adult moves very quickly and like, you know, you know, you could be writing like the hottest genre in the world. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well that's over now. <laughs> and so if you can't pivot, then you kind of find yourself lost. And you know, I have pivoted and pivoted and pivoted. Um, but I, one of the things, like I have done middle grade nonfiction. Um, I have done anthologies. I have done write for hire. I have written my own novels. Um, and one of the things that I had not done was write middle grade fiction and I hadn't done a collaboration. And so, you know, it had been a while, like I had almost a two and a half, three year gap between selling the, my last thing. And I was just thinking about, you know, what can I do next and what would be fun to do next? And I'm like, what if we really did write can't murder face? It was just like, wouldn't that be hilarious? So I sent Josh email and I'm like, what would happen if we really did write can't murder face? And so, um, you know, he, he, like I said, he had a gap. I had a gap and we didn't go into it with like a whole lot of like super planning or super thought. Like we had, we came up with like some like general guidelines, but mostly what we were doing is like, I would write a chapter and he would write a chapter and, the goal was to entertain each other. I mean, you know, it was, you know, we were trying to make each other laugh. Um, 
you know, Josh is, um, well, he's not so much anymore, but he started out a real horror weenie. And so, like, I was, you know, I would try to scare him and give him nightmares. And so, like, we were literally just, we were having a good time putting together this thing that was basically full of all of the stuff that we liked, you know, in books and stuff when we were kids, which was in the 80s. So you end up with a, you know, you know, a horror comedy summer camp romp set in 1983. And, you know, we finished the whole book before our agents even knew we were doing it. It was one of those things where it really was like, hey, we're going to write this book and we're just going to have a good time doing it. And then we got to the end and we had a book and we're like, so like, should we sell it? Um, Should we maybe tell our agents? (laughs) There was a possibility you guys were just having fun just with just just friends piling around. Yeah. I mean, we had I had so much fun writing um, the first book, which is not to say I didn't have any fun writing the second book, but the second book was different because the first book was just, we're goofing off and we have no idea where it goes. The second book is under contract, so it's like, okay, now we have a deadline. Yeah, a little different. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, not to be like overly dramatic about it, but I was like pretty close to like giving up on writing in general because I had written a couple books that didn't sell. I had written a book that was kind of like very like near and dear to my heart, very, very personal. And it was kind of like uh, putting a lot of myself out on the page and, and, and um, it was a little painful to write. Uh, and I was so proud of it when I, when I was done with it. And then you know, as happens sometimes, no one bought it, you know? And I was like, I don't know if I had the enemy to go sit down again and like, you know, beat myself up again and try to pump myself up to get through the hard parts and try to like, you know, just. I'm not a person who like, I don't like the blank page. But I also, it's not always a walk in the park. You know, sometimes you're, it's hard. Sometimes it's lonely. And sometimes, depending on the subject matter, you're digging deep, you know? And I was like, ugh, I just went through all that. And then, and nothing came of it. I'm like, I don't know if I have it in me to do it again. I mean, I, and then, you know, at, at that time, that's when then that conversation with Sandra started. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be a lot more fun. The absolute worst case scenario is that I'm going to get to like, just make funny words with Sandra for a couple of months <laughs> like it's not painful it's it's fun so and I and I, and, uh, I had done some collaboration I'd done some other type of collaborative works in the past some script projects and I'm a musician so like I always play in bands and I'm super used to I, I'd much prefer jamming with someone than playing alone you know so when it came to time to do that in the writing world I was like yeah this is going to be fun and it was and it was not at all, like I said, even if the worst thing that would have happened is would be if it didn't sell. And who cares? It was still really fun to do. And then, lo and behold, the uh, book sold, the sequel sold. And the very first time we talked in person was to discuss the details of the deal. That was the very first time we yeah. had a conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> like, the or the yeah. first time just on the project of the book. No, no just I did, the I, first time ever. 
like we had talked on the internet, like in Twitter and stuff like that, email, but we had like never talked on the phone, no video never. chat, no nothing, never. none of that. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't know what your voice sounded like, but I did because I've seen your YouTube videos. But I only knew like, I've never talked. Well, to we knew what our voices sounded like because we did those videos. But the thing yeah, about the yeah, videos yeah. early on exactly. is that we would write the script, and then. Josh would record all of his parts and then I would record all of mine and then I put it together in a Makanima program. So even though we had heard each other's voices, we had never actually talked to each other. Um, We had just individually like acted out a script and then put it together. (laughs) (laughs) You're like De Niro and Pacino and Pete. So many ways. That's true. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Aren't we all a little like Al Pacino? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, not, to, not to derail you, but it, uh, since you're being so honest, you said that you were thinking about quitting. And this is what you said, six books uh, that you'd had published by, by this point. And you've, 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 been a, you've won a Sandra, Choice Award. She was rounding up. I've, re- I've published four books. I had four, oh, okay. four books published. And yeah. I was part of some anthology. No, you had yeah. you had Hamburger Halfman, you had Guy Langman, and then you had three baseball books. Just two. Just two baseball The third baseball book didn't sell. So there was only two. Oh, I guess I'm I thought pretty, it was three because I'm it was three stri- thirds. Okay, never mind. Yeah, the title is confusing because it's called Strike Three or Dead, but that was the first book in the series. Uh, I should have called it Strike One. <laughs> and then I could have kept going. I started with strike three. I don't know, but yeah. So I have four books in. Yes. What was the question? <laughs> I was pretty. I bummed. just wanted to clarify for all the authors listening who think I'm the only ever person who ever feels this way that there you are, four books in, and you're you're thinking that maybe it's time to stop writing and just focus on uh, baseball and 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 doing the library full time, or yeah. I gotta tell you, after my first book, I could I couldn't sell anything, and I was like, well, I guess I'm just one and done. And it was, you know, I my agent ended up firing me um, after my first book, and uh, which was not something I realized could happen. But in retrospect, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I was like, well, I'm just I'm done. I I guess this is it. And um, but then I wrote another book and I got another agent and you know I'm very dumpster ratty I, I climb to the top of the dumpster um <laughs> repeatedly and I mean there have been multiple points in my career where I'm like well I guess I'm done now I guess I've gotten as far as I can possibly get and I'm just never gonna sell anything again um but I keep stupidly writing things <laughs> and giving them to my agent and he keeps ultimately selling something eventually. Well, 16 books ago that this, this idiot agent fired you and has been regretting it ever since, right? Yeah. Well, that's well, the funny thing is, is that she fired me and then I got nominated for the Edgar award. And then she said, maybe I spoke hastily. <laughs> and, and I said, actually, I've already signed with somebody, which I had not. Wow. But by God, I was not going to go back to somebody who had fired me. I mean, I had, don't get me wrong. I, I had a line on an agent. In fact, the agent who is my agent now, it wasn't like I was just like jumping with no net. But 
it was, it's like you never get those moments where you get to say, actually, no, forget you. Um, but I, I don't know any author who hasn't had those dark nights of the soul repeatedly. Um, you know, it's just hard sometimes. It is a hard business. And I have described it a lot of times, like when I'm at school visits, as I play the lottery for a living. Because there's no guarantee that I will ever sell another book ever again. And, you know, if every book takes three to six months to, to do, and then like three to six months or longer to sell, and um, I literally, I, I play the lottery for a living. And it's, it, it is a cruel and unkind lottery at that. Because, you know, not only do you write the book and then hope that it sells, um, even when it does sell, you know, then you hand over something that you've put all of your everything into to lots of people who are going to receive it in, you know, in the spirit in which it was intended and lots of people who are going to be really angry and hate you a lot because it wasn't their book. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird, weird job. So it's, it's nice to actually do it, you know, with somebody. Well, let me uh, direct this question to you, since I know, Josh, the answer for you is when you're feeling low, Sondra Mitchell appears in a golden light and says, come with me, Josh. I will lift you out of this and, and bring you to Camp Murderface. But, Sondra, when you're feeling low and there's no Josh coming out of the clouds, what, what keeps you going? I don't want to get a real job. <laughs> Seriously, this is the only thing that I've actually ever been genuinely good at. Um, you know, and I have worked in lots of jobs, but unlike Josh, um, whose parents set a fantastic example for him and set him off into college, into a world of, um, you know, excellent jobs with, well, good jobs with, uh, benefits and pension plans. Um, I was poor as dirt growing up, so I only have a high school diploma. So for me, you know, you know, Josh, you know, has a master's degree and could get lots of different kinds of jobs, um, which is not to say that he would enjoy those jobs, but he would be paid more than seven sixty five an hour to do those jobs. Um, whereas if I go out and get a job, I have a high school diploma, so I would be working, um, you know, a minimum wage job and I am older <laughs> and I have a spinal cord injury and you know I would if if I if I did not write for a living I would be living entirely off of my wife and that I can't do that oh I can <laughs> <laughs> I don't but I would have no problem should it come up <laughs> she, talk, she talks about it's like hey when you make it big i will totally quit my job and it's like okay well you keep encouraging me to make it big and i will continue to write books about haunted summer camps and we'll see what happens well this is it here we are middle grade ninja podcast top of the world ma yeah. <laughs> right. here we go <laughs> 
Well, let's see. I've got uh, more questions for both of you. I also want to talk a lot about Camp Murderface. Yeah. Um, you know, let's talk about Camp Murderface, and we'll circle back, because I want to ask you about being a phone psychic, but I'm going to tease it. <laughs> okay. Steve, audience, you hang on with us, and we'll talk phone psychics before we're done. But right Sounds now, let's uh, talk Camp Murderface. So I vowed not to uh, summarize your book and make you listen to it. Josh, I feel like uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this over to you, since it's your name first. Right here yeah. on the book. Fair <laughs> enough. If you want to tell the themed audience uh, kind of the uh, elevator pitch, what is Camp Murderface about? So it's about two kids in 1983. We decided to set the book in Ohio since it's uh, halfway between um, Pennsylvania and Indiana. So it's 1983. It's a summer camp in Ohio. There's two kids, each dealing with their own stuff at home, end up being um, a little bit of misfits at camp and then end up being friends and then begin discovering all sorts of lore around this camp that turns to be more, uh, more fact than fiction. Uh, they see some ghosts, they see uh, haunted faces screaming in the fire, uh, the campfire, and uh, they start to hear uh, and uncover stories about these characters, these creatures called vampire devils that live at the bottom of the lake and that are... Am I, is that okay? Am I doing okay, Sandra? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm like afraid that I'm doing a bad job summarizing the story. No, I was, uh, and I then, was whispering uh, blood. Uh, yeah, okay, good. I thought you were saying no. I, th I, I thought maybe I was like giving away something that wasn't supposed to be given away. No. Okay, no. <laughs> the, the vampire devils are, they do come up later in the story, but they're okay to be part of the case. So our two characters, their names are uh, Corinne and, and Tez, and they start to uncover these uh hauntings at camp and corinne is like a she's kind of like a very um she's super into her bmx bike she's a little bit of like uh she's a little bit of a tough girl um tez is like we think that like in the future tez invents wikipedia like that's what he would that's what he does in the future in 1983 he's just like a walking dictionary he's a super smart kid who knows uh too much about everything except for when to be quiet and uh he and Corinne then become sort of unlikely buddies and um, they, you know, it's up to them to sort of get to the bottom of this, uh, this haunting at the bottom of the lake and that this, this evil at the, at the core of camp. The camp is actually called Camp Sweetwater. That's the name of the actual camp. It's on a lake. But um, there's been some bad stuff that happened there in the past. And over time, as a joke, campers call it Camp Murderface. That's like the sort of jokey name that the past counselors call it and that our crew then ends up uh, adopting as the nickname. So I was like, feel like I have to. The, the name of the camp in the story is not actually Camp Murder. That's just what the kids call it, sort of as a joke. But it's based. Uh, we did. Um, that that is an important is point because right away the audience yeah. is going to think I'm not reading about these characters. They should definitely not go to Camp Murder. Send your kids there. Why would you read that on the brochure and then write a check and the whole thing? <laughs> We had to fight for that title. We did, because the publisher was like, do we think maybe that murder face is a little too intense? And we're like, no. And they're like, do you think maybe that murder face might turn off the gatekeepers? And we're like, librarians laugh when we say can't murder face. Um, does. Yeah. Kids are excited. Librarians laugh. Um, but we did only almost all the way up to the point where they made the cover for their first book. It was it was they continued to be like, what if we called it Camp Dead Face? <laughs> and what if we called it Scary Face? 
Yeah. What what do we call it? These go to camp and it's actually not that extreme. You know, it was just (laughs) (laughs) just manslaughter face. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think the murder face is perfect. It's that perfect mix. Uh, I don't tell you. I don't sell you guys on this. You're 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 with me. Uh, But. but it's that nice mix of promises you you're gonna get some real scary stuff here. But it's space in it, so it's not gonna be that scary. It's it's it's, it's a, a safe kind of silly. It's gonna be silly. It's definitely gonna be silly. And we did have to, we did have to go back and make it less scary when we did revisions, um, which is funny because for I wrote it, Josh was kind of like the architect of the funny, and I was kind of the architect of the horror because I started out writing horror fiction and Josh has always been super funny um and so like I did my best to like make up jokes it's like I'm gonna try and make Josh Burke laugh but like kind of my job was to like do the horror parts because Josh would be like I don't know what they do I don't know what happens it's scary (laughs) and so um like early on (laughs) early on i wrote some of the the horror parts that his character experiences um although that's out the window now josh is all in for writing um super scary parts now and so when i i wrote it the first way and then we gave it to our agents and our agents were like what about more feelings is this scary enough? Can we put in more feelings and scary enough? And we're like, it's a book called Can't Murder Face. I think it's fine. But we went ahead and did the revisions. <laughs> and then once they were happy, they submitted it. And Kristen Pettit at Harper Children's, she bought it. And she is also, or she was also, R.L. Stein's editor for many of the early Goosebumps books. Kristen, and, if you're listening, you are invited on the show anytime. I would love to chat with you about both those things. And yeah, he's awesome. Um, and he uh, and she said, "Okay, well, we learned two things working on Goosebumps. Once, er, one, everything in the past has to be at least a hundred years ago, so it's not too scary. Um, but also, this book is too scary, so I need you to make it less scary. So." We put in more scary for the agents. The, the, the editor made us take out some of the scary. And even then, at like line edit parts, she was like, do we really have to say blood four times on this page? <laughs> it yes. Pretty vivid my, my God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the toned down version. But yeah, also, I have no idea. Like, because I, well, like, so I just like, I'm a big baby. I don't like scary books. I don't like scary movies. I am afraid of everything. So I'm like writing in a genre. I mean, I'm bringing my own sense of storytelling and my own sense of comedy and everything to it. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where the lines are. <laughs> so when I'm, cause I just, I'm not super familiar with the genre. So certain parts, I'm just like, well, I, I guess I'll make it scarier. I would just make it so gross. <laughs> like that's just too much like you gotta turn it down so i mean for me honestly like like i i feel like as an example it's maybe like a cheesy example but like i feel like the harry potter books are really scary in the scary part like i felt like to me i was like just if you're as scary as the dementor or as umbridge or like some of the death and scary sad in harry potter then you know that's the most beloved children's book ever so if you're if if that's your but I think people forget how scary that is. I don't know. Maybe they do, but 
Uh, I would argue the stairs is part of what makes them so popular and so great. Yeah, and I think it slides under, you know, under the transom for a lot of kids where that's really their first time where they're like, I mean, Dudley Dursley is ridiculous, but he's also really scary to Harry Potter. And then as, you know, as it moves on, it's like, you know, Cedric Diggory dies in front of him. And then Umbridge has that pen. It's like, and the Dementors, just straight up the Dementors. Um, Right. It's there are really terrifying parts in those books, and uh, you know everybody remembers you know the magic and the action and the adventure and everything else. They don't remember the scary parts. Um, when I'm writing, because they're British, <laughs> yeah, it's they're British. Spoiler for, for Cedric Diggory for a book that's what ten years old. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> if, if you have not gotten to the end of Goblet of Fire, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, somewhere out there is a list of, I love the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, but I just haven't got around to Harry Potter yet. <laughs> and now I All won't. Right. Thanks, Sandra Mitchell. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> we cost J.K. Rowling a book sale. <laughs> she yeah, she's suffering. Now. She's, she's suffering yeah, now. One book out of eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Okay, you mentioned Sandra that uh, his character. So, did you guys, one of you picked Corinne, one of you picked Tez, and you went back and forth, or how did this collaboration back and forth go? Yeah, um, it was you know I would write a chapter or a thousand words, and then Josh would write a chapter or a thousand words, and we would just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, you know that pattern doesn't stay true simply because when you revise, you have to go back, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to have something from somebody. Where were we, Josh? Give us a give us a quick tour. You turned your camera around. Now I. Now he's silent. Okay. You know, silence is what really makes podcasts exciting. (laughs) I was having technical difficulties, and I was trying to fix it, and I hit the wrong button. (laughs) But, you know, we just went back and forth in large part because we were like, hey, this book is only going to be 45,000 words because it's middle grade. And uh, if we... If if you write a 1,000 and I write a 1,000, we'll be done with this book in a month and a half. And three months later, um, we had a 60,000-word book. (laughs) And then after revisions with um, our agents, we had a 68,000-word book. And then after revisions with our editor, it's back down to about 64,000 words. But, yeah, we we each took a character. And um, have, have you read it? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, who do you think wrote which character? I, having met you in person, felt <laughs> that there was, uh, I, I, I felt that the Corinne, some of the things Corinne said were very Sandra type things to have said. Um, I figured the uh, minor spoiler, but it's, it's one of my favorite introductions of Elliot, uh, who, who she recently kissed. Uh, that sounded like a Sandra Mitchell joke to me, but I could be wrong. Yeah, 
Um, Josh wrote Corinne. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. Dead wrong. This is why I don't summarize people's books. Or That's fine. No, <laughs> no, we love, we love, we love, love asking because neither of our agents guessed which one of us wrote which part. None of my family figured out who wrote which part. Um, now, I will say that, you know, when we revised, you know, we were both, and, and even when we were writing, like, you know, I would like be like typing in a new chapter because we were working in Google Docs. And so, because Alphabet needs more money, right? Um, I would be, you know, typing down here in generic docs. And Josh would be, like, in the chapter before or whatever, like, going through. And he, you know, would be, like, fine-tuning jokes or adding, you know, funny things or whatever. And, you know, I would go through and I would fine-tune the horror and stuff like that. So, ultimately, I feel like the book has, like, a overall pretty consistent voice and feel and that's because we both went over each other's work just over and there are jokes that we can't remember who wrote it there's a lot um, i will say though that that josh did write the um elliot's kiss that that is all josh um well that's my son's name so that's so we thought that would be yeah so so yeah it was one of those things where and it's fun because um I have written a male POV character, but older. Um, I've never written one this age. And so, like, sometimes when Josh writes something, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like, 11-year-old girls would never do that like that. Then we'll, you know, he'll change it. And occasionally there's like, no, like, 11-year-old boys would never do that. Um, not to spoil like the some second really, part. like, yeah, like, really specific things, like, yeah, inside a boy's locker room or... <laughs> Like, like, for example, it's like, you know, I, I told Josh that, like, you know, 11-year-old girls are not going to, like, you know, snipe at each other the way they've been sniping each other and then just be okay. That's just not the way it works. And, like, Bro, there was... Like, boys would. Like, boys do that. Yeah. 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 You forget about it the moment you're in through the bathroom door. And then um, <laughs> in the second book, there's this part where I was joking about one guy who couldn't decide whether or not it was okay to wear underpants under his swimsuit. And Josh was like, in my experience, boys don't wear them under there and they don't really care. And I'm like, well, will it make sense if this one weird guy is weird about it? Or do I just need to change the whole thing? <laughs> we kept it in. I felt like there's always, I felt like one weird guy, as long as they acknowledge that it's weird. Like, I felt yes. like that was. Yes, weird. everybody yeah. just, it was because he is one weird guy. Um, and I also raised the possibility. It's like, you know, what if minnows swim up there? Um, you know, our, our, our editor that may take it right. out. That, yeah. that felt right. Yeah. So. That felt right. <laughs> at the very, I will say, at the very, very beginning, I think we sort of, I don't know if we've been named the characters yet, but I think we just, I just, I remember us texting or emailing, and I just said, so I guess I'll write the guy and you write the girl, unless, and I just put dot, 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 just kind of as a joke, you know? And Sandra was like, hey, I'm up for uh, taking the dude if you want to swap it up. And I said, you know, I've never, I'd never written as a, as a female character before. So, um, but everything about this was kind of new and, and challenging and different. And I was like, you know what, why not do something different than what I've done thus far? And, uh, you know, she's like, I didn't want to make her like a tomboy, really. Like, I didn't want to make her like too much, just like a, too much of like a guy character <laughs> just as a girl. So I tried to, and then of course I did have a co-author who's a woman. So I had a good insight there. But um, 
But Corinne is very much like a, she's very much like rough and tumble in her way. And she's Ted's very, very much like, like, she's very much like basically every 11 year old girl right before they discover being attracted to people. Once like puberty starts to hit, it's like this heat seeking missile that just leaves destruction in its wake, no matter your jo- your gender. <laughs> and like 11 year old girls are very Corinne until somebody gets a crush on somebody and then it's like now you're too much of a baby you you know i mean it's just you know (laughs) everybody's very worried about being grown up when you're 11 and now that we're in our 40s we would very much like to be 11 yeah and one of the things that i read really early on just doing a little bit of just real googling like basic searching about like what was popular in ohio in 1983 I was just looking at newspapers or magazines or something online. And I found this thing about BMX, about the BMX scene. And I was like, oh, and I have a lot of friends who grew up in the BMX scene. That was like huge here in Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, my friends were like X Games people and stuff. Uh, so <clears throat> we, uh, I felt like, oh, I'm going to make her in like super into BMX. And that sort of influenced her character in a way, like uh, that she had this fearlessness and she had this, because you got to be tough, you got to be brave, you got to be physical and strong and, and fearless to be, you know, taking jumps on your bike. And uh, so that's that like one detail I felt like kind of shaped, helped shape her character. So, and then Tez, uh, like we said, he is just like, uh, he's just like a human encyclopedia. Yeah, he is. I love Tez. Like, and so the, the funny part that Sandra wrote, like, if people think I wrote them, I'm so like, I feel kind of guilty, but also I feel so pleased because <laughs> because the Tez parts that are, are so funny, they're so funny that like uh, it just cracks me up every time I read them. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to <laughs> proud to trick people into thinking I wrote them. So, well, yeah, we made a point of not saying to anybody who wrote what we made a point of just like uh, secretly uh, writing across the uh, gender lines. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm I'm glad it's that way, and that and that it is so difficult for for people to tell. It's way more fun. So, how do you yeah. keep uh, characters consistent since you're you're working on a, a shared? Not, well, it's not a shared universe. It's a single universe that you're sharing. I think is how that works. I ah, whatever. Um, how do you keep your characters straight? And then also, did you sit down and and make out a plot? Or are you guys panting this just back and forth like a game of telephone? Um, first of all, we keep things. This is how we keep things in order. Josh writes something and I say, hey, that can't happen because remember on this page, this happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're a, mix. We're a mix of plotters and panthers. Yeah. Society kept the continuity. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Josh also, I mean, there was, it was very collaborative in that sense. But a lot of times, like a lot of times I did feel like I was like, no, that can't happen because of this and this. Um, <laughs> I'm glad but, though. I'm glad because I just, I, I just think something's funny and I just go with it. I forget yeah. that it makes no sense. <laughs> that's that's not good. It's good to have you. Uh, it's good to have someone double checking it. So, and then well, what, what we would typically would do is like once a week or every other week, a Sunday morning, not too early. We we would just like get a cup of coffee and we chat we would just use like the you know not on the phone but just in, in like um the google messenger or whatever which we like because it saves it you know and then you can go back and look so we would sort of spend the week plotting out the next couple chapters 
So we would have a sense of where we wanted the next three, four chapters to go. And then one of us would go write them. We'd go write them and back and forth. And then we'd get to a point where like, okay, what happens next? And then we'd meet again in real time and collaborate and, and try to sort of uh, brainstorm. And sometimes, you know, we would, what about this? Or like, wait, no, that won't work. So there was, there was, we would plan a few chapters at a time and then, and then, and then reconvene and plan the next section. So. But when we say that, like, we were planning it, it's not like we were breaking it down in, like, any real big way. Yeah, it's not. Like, we have a table of contents at the top, and before each chapter was written, there were no titles. So it, it would be like, um, you know, Tez and Corinne have a fight, or, you know, Corinne steals the bike, or whatever. And so, like, we just have, like, these one-line... This is what happens in this chapter. It's like very bare bones, like this is how you plot a novel. I mean, it's just, you know, it would follow like, okay, so this is something that we have to plug in at this point. Um, and we have multiple documents, like, because if we said stuff that was like really funny or we felt like it was really inspired in our chat, we would paste it in that document, or sometimes we would paste it in the actual manuscript document just so it was sitting there when we started to write. Um, but, you know, there were times where either, um, you know, something had changed. And so then like the, the five one liners that we had written down no longer made sense. Um, or, you know, it was, fun. <laughs> there was one where we, we had like just the one liners on there and it was toward the end of writing the second book. And Josh texts me um, because when we finish a chapter, we go like, tag, you're it. And that's like the code to go read the, the chapter now and now write yours. Um, and Josh texted me one morning. I was like, great chapter. By the way, what does one liner about my chapter mean? I don't remember what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like, like super detailed planning. It's more like this is the trajectory of this story. And um We'll see what happens. And I think that's part of what makes it a lot of fun because I don't know exactly what Josh is going to write. I just know that, you know, plot point has to happen. I have no idea how he's going to approach it. Um, I have no idea what jokes he's going to write or if he's going to throw in horror. I have no idea. And he doesn't know what I'm going to do either. And so I think that really puts a lot of life into this, into these stories because there is that um, really fun tension of, we didn't know what was going to happen either until we got there. And sometimes you, uh, we will save the of... original uh, Twitter thread and the messenger and, and everything so that when the special edition comes out, uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. 10 years from now, 10 year anniversary edition, put all that stuff in the back. That's gold. The problem is, is that <laughs> most of the jokes that are in the, in the planning are completely inappropriate for middle grade. The director's <laughs> cut of Can't Murder yeah, Fake. There's a lot of director's cut material. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'll say, like sometimes we'll sometimes we'll, we'll kind of run each other into a corner, uh, just sort of to be mean or just to be funny or whatever. <laughs> I'll end a chapter and I'll just and I'll just be like, and then I had the greatest idea. And then I just get to stop. And then Sandra goes, like, yeah, what the idea is. Like, yeah, and he did we were at the bottom. He did one chapter where, like, he was supposed to be writing a scary scene. And apparently his characters and or he himself decided that it would be more fun for them to all just, like, goof on each other. So, like, 
the chapter is like all of them goofing on each other. Then they get to the scary thing, and it's like, like and then there was a crack. So it's like, so now I have to write the chapter that he was gonna write <laughs> because he thought it was funnier to have his characters goof on each other. <laughs> So when you, uh, I mean, obviously everyone who's listening to this hears how well you collaborate and work together. Seamless. It's, it's like uh, two or one mind speaking through two mouths. It's incredible. But um, I assume somewhere along the line, um, there had to, you had to have butted heads at some point. Somebody wanted to zig instead of zag. Somebody wanted a character to do this and somebody wanted this, that. How did you resolve that? How, how, for all those authors who want to have a successful collaboration like yours, how did you make sure this never came, you know, obviously it wouldn't come to blows because you're not in the same state, <laughs> but make sure everything stays civil Otherwise. and nobody's resentful. <laughs> you know, we never argued over anything. There was never a point where we argued over anything. And I think part of that is that we've both been um, just really conscious of, of each other as artists, which sounds kind of pretentious. But like, you know, there have been, I mean, there have been ideas that I've had that we had to throw away. There have been ideas that Josh has had that, you know, that we've either had to put aside or, or that we just, we couldn't use. I mean, it was like super hilarious or super amazing, but it just didn't fit to where the story ended up going. And like, we'll write stuff in and like, you know, we'll leave each other notes. It's like, does this work? I don't know. Are we cramming too much stuff in here? Um, and I think that we've been really honest with each other. It's like, if that doesn't work, then we go back and do it. Like there have been places where like, I was in a bad place. Um, my dad passed away while we were working on the first one. And I was determined that we were going to hit that deadline. And it's like, we are not going to miss a deadline. And Josh is like, who cares about a deadline? And I'm like, this is this is when we had revisions. This was after the book was sold. And it's like, I, I'm like, I don't miss deadlines. And he's like, who cares? It doesn't matter. And, you know, there were places where he could tell that I just was not, I was not in the best place to be writing um, horror and or comedy. And, um, you know, and he would just go back in and he would tweak it and, you know, bring it back in line with, with, what we had intended to do because we both plan. I mean, you know, we both know what we want the book to be ultimately. Um, and, you know, there have been times when Josh has been down and that, you know, and it, we just, you know, or, you know, a thing doesn't work. And it's just like, well, why don't I feel like a lot of times I'm like mean mommy. And I'm like, Josh is like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I'm like, not right now. We have to eat our exposition vegetables. Um, but we save stuff for other books. Like Josh had a super great idea and I know he loved it and he really, really wanted it to be in book two. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's going to be very important book three and it was just that book two was already like so crammed full of stuff it's like i don't see how we can fit this in here and make it actually work um but i mean i we've had conversations like we've had check-in meetings where it was just like you know are you feeling okay you know how's your mental health um you know are you upset about this am i you know am i you know steamrolling over you am i not doing enough work we've just been really honest about um like where we are just as people and, you know, 
any of our fears or vulnerabilities about how the book is going or, you know, all of that stuff, because it's important. And um, so I don't think we've ever argued over anything. I think the only thing that we ever really even came close to being like super disagree about um, was which voice actor, which voice actors <laughs> would, would be in the, would be doing Camp Murder Face because I really, 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 really wanted Tara Sands, um, uh, who is fantastic. And Josh was like, but I really kind of like this one. And I was like, but I really like Tara Sands. And he was like, but I really kind of like that one. And ultimately what we did was like, all right, look, we're just going to have to, we have to pick two that go together. Otherwise it doesn't make sense. So <clears throat> if you win, great. If I win, great but we're we're going to agree on it it's just like with the covers it's like if somebody feels really strongly about something i think both of us are, have been very good about it. it's like dude if that matters to you then go for it i don't care so um i wouldn't say it's been egoless because it makes it sound like we're pretentious people to start with but um i think it's been genuinely empathetic um, I mean, we, we genuine, we really like each other, you know, as people, I mean, yes, you know, we call each other names and we goof off and, you know, we are all kinds of dumb together, but I think, you know, <laughs> the part that you don't, that other people don't see is that, um, we genuinely respect each other as writers. We genuinely care about how the other one feels and we both want both of us to walk away really happy um, having made something really amazing together. I could be wrong, though, Josh. How do you feel about that? No, that's... that's yeah, no pressure. Exactly. Tell her you hate her. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably nicely what she said. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly right. And, and, and very beautifully said. And, um, you know, oh, to, to answer your original question, like, to other authors who want to work together, if you're thinking about, like, part of it, I could say a couple of things that I think have like to the fact that it worked, but, but part of it, I, I'm honestly going to say is like, like Sandra said, like, well, we both wanted the same thing for the book. But like, how did that happen? I don't know. This is magical. I think part of it is like a little bit of just good fortune. Like it just really was fortunate because our, our, our writing is so, um, there's there some significant degree of good fortune, or I honestly like to just call it magic, that happened in the very yeah. beginning, that we both like saw for what it could be and what it was going to be, and we immediately with like a big, big, big picture of it. And like little things around the edges maybe needed to be started up, but we both, and how? I don't know. Maybe just like the phrase, camera race is just <laughs> and it's just paints a picture in your mind of what kind of book it's going to be. Or also, yeah, and our sensibilities overlap a lot. But then also, I will say, I think it's really good that we're not exactly the same kind of writer. Because yes, I, I think, think that neither one of us is like in each other's house. We're both in a really unfamiliar house together. <laughs> yeah. And if you try to, if I tried to collaborate with someone who was too much like me, I'm not sure it would work. I think it would like fall apart. Uh, and And so we you know, our collaborate, our, our complementary skills are, are really important uh, or just we're fortunate that they work together. And the other thing I'll say is that like, 
and it's not forced, but like we both constantly praise each other's work all the time. Like we're constantly just reading each other's chapters and just texting each other LOLs all the time. Like we're just constantly cracking up and like loving it. So then when Sandra tells me, she's like, when she's like the end of that chapter didn't work, I'm not like, oh, she's being mean. I'm like, cause she's, she backed it up with 25 things that she liked earlier. So I'm not feeling, so I'm feeling comfortable and I'm feeling, I'm not feeling defensive and I'm not feeling, you know, uh, raw about it. I'm just like, oh, she must like, it probably doesn't work because <laughs> she's not for, for the sake of it. Like, because yeah, because we're always giving as much positive feedback or, you know, as uh, I don't know, that, it's not like we, we're helps. Like we, we constantly are like cheering each other on like all the time. Yeah. Like uh, sometimes literally like in the, in the document, Sandra will be typing and I'll just be in the chat window, like just like clapping, <laughs> just like typing <laughs> go and just like, <laughs> and like, and uh, just like, I don't know. I just am constantly amused by the stuff she comes up with. And so I'm just constantly cheering her on. So yeah, if at a point I'm just like, oh, that, maybe we could make that a little tighter or something, whatever, a little note, like it doesn't feel hurtful because there's, there's so much love preceding it. But, um, but yeah, also I will say that there is something really important to, and um, it's a little, I mean, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but it's like, you would be shocked. <laughs> One might be shocked to know like how much Sandra knows about my life. Like at this point, <laughs> like writing this book together. <laughs> I mean, I've like, we've had like, it's become a really like you know close working relationship that like friend, that goes way beyond the margin of the pages. So yeah, uh, you know yeah, it has to be someone you can get along with and talk to as a person, uh, in addition to the uh, the writing and the art and yeah. And Sandra is a very empathetic person, I'll say, and also like well, she'll go out of her way to check in and like you and you. I feel like I feel like you can always tell. Like even if I don't say anything you're just like hey you doing all right <laughs> like, like you can just tell by the quality of my i don't mean quality like good or bad but just the quality of my prose that day you're like josh might have had a bad day at work like and then you'll check in and you'll be like tell me like are you all right like and that's that's really that's really meaningful to me like it really makes me feel like supported you know because when you're working with somebody yeah it can get and i've been in like i said i've been in bands for years and like it can get competitive you know Oh, uh, with the other guitarist, or it can be like, no, I want my lyric here, or you know, egos can be in the in the room, and uh, yeah, I think also like at the point in our careers, uh, I don't know that I would have been a good collaborator when I was in my like early twenties because no, I, no, I would sensitive. not have been. Uh, yeah, I was like very sensitive, and I'm not 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 ego driven, but like too insecure to take mm -hmm. a note, you know, and like now I'm just like, well, yeah, it's not personal, just like either that part works or it doesn't like yeah and like even either early way we just on, want the same thing which is to make it better even early on like you know like i said like we will go through like the chapter that the person wrote before and we'll like we'll just change things and it's not like we're sending each other notes all the time saying i changed this i changed this i changed this i changed this um we find out that it got changed when we read back over it you know we're not asking each other's permission to change every little thing um, we're far enough along in our careers that that we can trust each other that, you know, he's not going to throw something in there that I would find, you know, offensive or upsetting or it's like, what are you even doing? And, you know, and I feel like I don't do that to his characters either. Um, I do think that, you know, 
a lot, like sometimes it will be like, or, you know, Josh will say something like, you know, says something really tezzy here, or I'll say something, can you, like, you know, can you edit for Corinne's voice here? Um, but a lot of times we're not even like giving each other critique. We're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, we're changing the things that need to be changed to make it work. And we don't find that out until like, you know, we have to read it for revisions or whatever. No, I'm kidding. We find out before then, but, um, <laughs> you know, but I, we, like I, I know I could not have worked with another person like that early on in my career. I was a screenwriter before this. So like most of my career had been collaborative. But it had been collaborative in the sense of I wrote a screenplay and then everybody down the line screwed it up for me. Um, <laughs> and so I had a, a lot of bitterness and very like, you know, I was very Gollum like with like my early manuscripts. Um, and and I, I would not have been able to do Can't Murder Face that early on. But I think we were both right at the exact same place, the right place where we can be like, you know, it's not a personal reflection if I wrote too stiff a chapter, you know. <laughs> it's it's were... good that you guys get along because this is like about as close to being book married uh, as you can, especially when book two comes out. It's a huge success and you've got to write five more. It, it's good that this is. Yeah. At what point uh, did, this, uh, did you know that this was going to need a, uh, at least a second book, if not more? When did this go from a one off to series? We pitched it. um when we decided to actually tell our agents that we had been doing this, um, <laughs> um, we, we wrote like, and we basically like, here's the one we have all of, and then here's a paragraph and here's a paragraph. We like told our agents, it's like, we think it should be a trilogy. Um, Cause we, we felt like we had an overall arc and we had like an individual arc. And then our agents tried to sell it as a, as a trilogy. And our editor was kind enough to buy two books <laughs> So, um, you know, once we once we stopped, like, doing the fun part of writing the book and, and started working on the business part, it was very much, you know, we, sh we think this should be three books. This is why. This here's the proposal for that. Um, you know, here are other books that are, you know, here are comp titles um, that we feel are very current that this, you know, feeds into without being, you know, eclipsed by it was at that point, it was very, um, very business. Um, but then when we sat down, what, what was great was that we knew that we were going to have to probably turn in a whole outline for the second book. We knew that like just the paragraph was not going to do it. So last summer or last spring, um, Josh and I actually sat down and we went ahead and we broke like the, the whole of book two because we knew generally what would happen. And so we, you know, just kind of filled it in as like a, I don't know how many pages was it. Do you remember? No, it was a good sized outline. I mean, yeah, it was probably around 10, 15 pages. I don't remember. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, you know, a pretty good outline. Um, which our editor promptly lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we put a lot of work into that. <laughs> and and the funny thing is, is that... Well, she, she didn't lose the only copy, did she? It's not that she lost it. No. It's that she forgot that we had turned it in. Okay. <laughs> and so when she's like, is this the blurb that you guys had for the next book? And it's like, um, that's for book three. And so, like, she... 
she had not like she had not even read it but it's fine she's she's a little flaky but she's pretty fantastic and um she is fantastic so, so still welcome on the show anytime <laughs> <laughs> but what was really nice about it is that when we first started can't murder face two um when we were doing can't murder face one i was having a pretty hard time um Aside from career stuff. And then when we started working on Camp Murder Phase 2 this year, Josh was having a pretty rough time. And, um, you know, early on, Josh was like, I just, you know, I just feel bad. I feel like I'm not, you know, doing as much work as I did on the last one. And I'm like, dude, past us did all of the work on this outline. (laughs) So you already did all the work. (laughs) So now it's just all we're doing is sailing. And so even though neither one of us, I mean, we still like had our weekly meetings because, you know, an outline is never how the book actually ends up. Um, it was good to have had that, even though it ultimately made zero percent of difference in the actual business side, because it gave us, you know, some breathing room. And, you know, because we both had hard times while working on these books and, you know, we both had the opportunity to just kind of like okay, I'm just going to sit back and let you be awesome because I got nothing. And then we pick it back up and we have fun again. Sounds like it's a match made in heaven. Uh, so you need to... Were you guys working on, uh, on on solo projects at the same time at any point? Any overlap? Or was it 100% both of you focused going back and forth until the two murder faces were done? Uh- <laughs> Well, while I was working on Murder Face 1, I was also working on curating and editing um, my all-out anthology. And I was also finishing and revising my novel that came out last October called All the Things We Do in the Dark, which was the really hard, terrible, painful novel that I wrote that it managed to sell, but um, nobody read it. So, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Um and then during Can't Murder Face 2, um, I have been busy um, at the same time curating and editing the companion to my first anthology, um, Out Now, which uh, coincidentally comes out the exact same day that, that Can't Murder Face does, which, which was actually a whole thing because originally Can't Murder Face 2 or Can't Murder Face and Can't Murder Face 2 were supposed to come out um, previous October and then in January. So they were supposed to be like six months apart and pushed back further. Um, And that just, it didn't happen. I, you know, we don't know why they don't tell us things like that. And so um, then I had to ask permission from uh, my other editor and our editor on on Camp Murder Face for these two books to come out because one is um you know it's a young adult anthology and the other one is a middle grade horror comedy and you know the audiences could not overlap less and so it's like and it, I could have messed things up big time because if if uh, if uh, Camp Murder Face editor said no that's not okay with me we would have had to go to the other publisher and be like, can you please move it so that I'm not in breach of contract? Um, 
but it worked out. It worked out. But now, so yeah, I'm always working on about 67 things because I'm afraid of being poor again. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Bob Reddy is yeah. a great motivator. Yeah. <laughs> also because I love writing and, and editing anthologies, but also because that's my job and I don't want to have to go work in, in a place. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, well, you, were, you were being 100% more. faithful the whole time. You were zeroed in on uh, on Camp Murderface. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Yeah. You were you were working on something. You were you had a side project also. Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty demanding day job, so that's like <laughs> I have that. So, but um, I also I I think I mean while we were um, there was a little time in between. I will say like. While we've been writing the second book, that was that was at least it seemed like pretty, like part of it was like pretty quick turnaround. Like we were, that was all I could do to keep up with like meeting those goals in order to get that book turned in on time. I mean, um, you know, it was that that was I didn't have much breathing room to do anything else. But and there was a little time in between the two books that I started writing, uh, like a chapter book series for younger 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 readers that's not scary at all and is just totally silly uh for um kind of like uh captain underpants audience like for like younger kids like just full-on silly uh books for eight-year-olds so i've uh i've been working on that kind of uh i have some weird work i have some weird writing habits too like um like part of that book like uh i literally wrote like in my car because like what I do is like I use the voice to text app in the notes and I and I have this like character that I do and I just like drive around and I talk as this character and I just he has this really weird uh, <laughs> accent and I just talk as him into my phone and I narrate the like uh, 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 script or whatever you want to say the manuscript for for that book so. I, I find ways to like write at like really odd times, like literally writing while driving in my car, uh, not typing in my car, but just talking in my car. And um, I bet you get your word count way up for the day if you're taking advantage of every moment you can like that. You know, he also writes in his sleep. And you're stuck in traffic. I do also, we do have this, I do have a lot lot of like some sleep problems, (laughs) which is not a great thing to have in life. I off I very often have insomnia and I very often wake up in the middle of the night or I'm just up in the middle of the night and I I wrote a lot of this book on my phone. I wrote a lot of the book, Motorface books on my phone, just the Google Docs app on my on my phone. And so a lot of times I'll just be like half asleep at night and I'll just be typing and sometimes I will fall asleep but can somehow continue to type and uh, wake up and find stuff very often it makes no sense. Like sometimes it's just like the letter A a whole bunch of times, but sometimes it's it's like, sometimes it's like thoughts or sentences. There's at least one sleep, we call it sleep work, because every once in a while Sandra will be like, was sleep work in here again? (laughs) It'll be like something really weird uh, in the, in the Yeah, like, like, um, did you guys see the Spider-Man in the hat? And I'm like, where was the Spider-Man in the hat? I don't remember (laughs) that in the book. Yeah, just like dream logic, just weird <laughs> phrases. But the one 
thing I know it did make it into the Cameron face. There's a chapter titled, uh, the, it's called Mr. Mystical. That's the name of the chapter. And that's when like Tez says something sort of believing in the supernatural. And after Corinne had been trying to convince him previously, and she says, when did you become Mr. Mystical? But uh, we just, Mr. Mystical was just something sleeper type. I had no context for it whatsoever, <laughs> but we found a way to keep it in. We found a way to keep it in the book and actually make it a chapter title. So that makes me really, that most of sleeper gets edited. Most of it does, gets edited. Does now. sleeper have <laughs> access to your social media accounts or is there a way to <laughs> that down? No. Just to be safe? <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I do write, I do write a lot of lyrics. Sleepwork is usually a good lyricist. Because, like, I'll text my bandmate uh, all lyrics because they don't have to super make sense. They just have to sound cool. So Sleepwork is like pretty good at songwriting. Less, less, more logic is required for writing a novel. So yeah, Sleepwork is like more of a more of a lyricist. <laughs> Occasional novel. Yeah, but that does that does get your word count up when you're writing while driving and while sleeping and also while writing. So um not all recommended habits, but uh you know sometimes gets the job done. Sandra, are you more traditional get up nine to five or how do you how do you work? I do have a I do have a scheduled day simply because um up until my daughter just graduated um congratulations to her yeah i'm very excited for her she's also very excited for herself um <laughs> <laughs> uh you know she's a um she's autistic and so um i have been her advocate throughout her entire school career um and so basically my actual you know josh has like a full-time job at the library my actual full-time job is, you know, getting services and everything that my daughter needs and making sure that, you know, everything at school was going the way it was supposed to go and, um, you know, filling out lots and lots of government paperwork. Um, and so, you know, for a long, like for really since my very first book, um, I have been doing all of that at the same time that I'm writing, but I have never been like a morning writer. I just, I my brain is not there yet. And so like I get up and I do like boring business stuff in the morning. Like I answer business emails and, you know, and stuff that I have to fill out and that just that kind of stuff. And I do that until noon or so and I have lunch and then I'll, I'll write a little bit, but it's really more like going over what I wrote the day before, or in the case of can't murder face, it's, reading through everything that Josh just wrote. So it's fresh on my mind and like tweaking anything that I think needs tweaked to get me going. I don't really like, I'll write in the like late afternoon and sometimes I'll write it in the middle of the night. Um, given my preference, like I would work all night and I would sleep during the day. Um, but I mean, there have been times where, you know, it's just like, well, I have a couple of hours on Sunday morning, so that's what I'm going to write. Um, and it's always funny because a lot of times, like, if I start writing on the weekends, I will suddenly see it, the bloop, the little icon on the top show up and Josh Burke be creeping on me while I'm writing my chapter. Is he able to do? He's just looking at what you're typing as you type it. Is he yes, he's watching peering at you through your I'm webcam? How, uh, how, how terrified should uh, esteemed audience be? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he's watching the words. There's no, like, webcam yeah. involved. I'm just watching the words. The funny part is, is that, like, 
I will pop in and I will see that he's writing. But if like if I've seen his like cursor just sit there for a little while, like maybe, you know, he had to go and go to a meeting or something like that. Then like I'll type in there so that when he comes back, he doesn't come back to what he wrote last. <laughs> um, sometimes sometimes we'll be in the same chapter at the same time. The same paragraph at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we, we will write over each other and, and stuff and like. Oh, that just sounds like madness, but obviously it, it's working. It is, it is, <laughs> but it works. Um, my favorite though was um, we were both so glad to get out of the mushy middle of of Murder Face Two, um, and we were both like, really for a long time there, it just felt like we were writing down words and they weren't even in order, and um, so. Once I get past, like, the part that I find difficult, I tend to write faster and faster and faster. And uh, and like I said earlier, we do, like, the, you know, tag, you're it. And, and so, like, he had tagged me on, like, a Saturday morning. And I'm like, all right, I can't wait to see what Josh wrote. And so I went and I, I read through his chapter. I'm like, all right, I can't wait to write my chapter. So I just, you know, I sat there and I banged it out. And then I tagged, you're it. It was, like, a couple hours later. And he's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I wanted a break. <laughs> I wanted to not feel guilty. I wanted to yeah, he was like, now I have two or three days while she thinks about things. And instead, it was like, yeah. two or three hours. <laughs> Why was uh, 1983 the year for this? And I have I have my suspicions, but I want you guys to answer. I've already been wrong, drastically wrong about the book once per podcast. It's all my heart can take. Um, why 1983? <laughs> what uh, what in, what stories influence this story? I mean, obviously, you know, all of, the late seventies and the and the early eighties were like truly the heyday for horror films. For this, you know, before they just turned into just straight up slasher films. Um, which I enjoy me a slasher film too. I'm not, you know, talking, it's just like, there's, there's less story once you get to the point where it's just like, cut this guy's face off or we'll blow your head off with a shotgun. I mean, you know, compelling, you know, um, (laughs) I believe I've seen all seven of the Saw films. They're great. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, for me, it was very much about an aesthetic because by the time you get to 1984 and 85, Um, you know, all the vestiges of the seventies are gone. Really. You have really started to get into the, the very, um, like a plasticine aesthetic of the eighties. It's like, it's very future, but it's also very plastic. Um, and it's, it's just, it does not have like the stories did not have the same feel by that point. Um, and for me, you know, when I'm like, I was like, I want, I want to write, you know, a horror comedy. The, you know, the comedy part is like, you know, that's how we can, that's part of how we can get away with setting it in 1983. Um, you know, because if I, if we went in and said we just want to write a horror, you know, horror book, you know, for kids set in 1983, they're going to be like, why? Um, and so. I wanted to go, I wanted to, to bring it back to like right before everything got like super high aesthetic in the eighties um, when everything was still weird knobby knees and um, you know, a lot of the same aesthetic that Stephen King was 
was um, pulling forth when he was doing Stand By Me and when he was doing It. Um, you know, Stephen King was a huge author for me at the time. And um, by the way, uh, the very first time I babysat all by myself, I was 13 years old. And the book I took with me to read while I was babysitting on New Year's Eve was Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. <laughs> and that was a choice. And I really wanted, for me, 1983 felt like the place where it's like, that's the point at which you are scared out of your mind and also don't know enough to explain it away. That's just, that's what I wanted 1983 for. Plus, Stranger Things was a thing. True. Um, made a good comp. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Makes sense. Josh, did you have any particular... I mean, obviously, uh, Friday the 13th, uh, has to be an, an influence on, on Camp Sweetwater. That's the most obvious one. But were there other things specifically from the from the eighties the or pre eighties that you're drawing inspiration from? I mean, for me, no, because I've never seen any of those scary movies. Because I'm scared. <laughs> <of them>. But <laughs> but for me, like I was born in 1976, so I feel like 1983. Okay, I was seven. Like I feel like that's the earliest. Like I don't really remember anything before that. You know what I mean? Like you don't really remember too. Much. I remember a tiny, tiny bit, maybe about being five or six. But 1983 is just like that's just the beginning of like that's my when I think about when I was. That's just when I was at camp, and that's when I was like you know that's just my childhood. That's like the year of childhood for me is 1983. So just kind of that personal thing for me of just that 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 year made sense. By 1984, yeah, I was like. Not that I was older, but I was like, you know, upper elementary school or whatever. I was like starting to, I think I, I, I just think eighty three was like, that just says childhood to me, being born in 76. So, um, but yeah, and I, yeah, I like everything from that era is just kind of funny to me. Like, yeah, like the high tube socks, like on the cover, I kept saying, make the high, pull up those socks, more tube socks, like more short shorts, <laughs> like just short shorts and tube socks. There's like a lot of like 80s tennis, like Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe, like just stuff I think is funny. Like, it's just funny to me. Music of the early 80s is funny to me. Like, just culturally, it's all amusing to me because I guess it's just because it's when I was discovering the world. And it just seemed uh, so, you know, just my first awareness of the bigger world. And then it all seemed so important. And then, you know, some years later, looking back on it, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and so it's just, to me, it's just, it's just that personal perspective of like a real hate, like a real, I just, it just is a sort of a, to me, just sort of an absurd time in fashion and in, in music and in everything is just kind of funny, but probably just because I was seven years old at the time, not for any, I'm sure any other period looks equally silly with that kind of lens. But to me, that's just, that's just why. So. Is yeah, I, was, when? I was 10. I was 10 in 1983. And like, I was super into like Zilpha Keatley Snyder, Mary Downing Hahn. I mean, I was just, oh man, the dollhouse murders. That book knocked my socks off. Like I was like, yeah, that's my jam. And I really, you know, I, you know, for all of the grown up stuff that we think about, you know, that time period, that was like 1983 was like, you know, when books and magic were the absolute most real, like all of this stuff could possibly happen, you know? Was, yeah. 
was that when Friday the Thirteenth came out? Was that a was that a nineteen eighty three film? Uh, no, the first one was in nineteen seventy nine, and then there was one oh, in nineteen eighty two. And um, so those are older. Okay. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, Nightmare on Elm Street is going to come out in nineteen eighty four, and Nightmare on Elm Street changes everything on the horror scene. And so there's very much a you know you have the scary crap happening in the woods era and then then you get freddy krueger and from freddy krueger then you get the candy man and you get jacob's ladder and um you know it just it really changes what horror is in film up until you start to get to the 90s pure slasher aesthetic i've never seen i've never seen any of the films (laughs) i've never seen a single one of them I don't even know. I, I feel saying. as part of the research for Sam Murder Phase Three, you need to sit down and watch all of these. It's really the only way you could do it. <laughs> I think I'm it would be done. hilarious to do like a watch through for one of just one of them, no, just no one, more. because I don't want to. I don't want to traumatize Josh forever. Yeah, no, you can live stream. You can live stream your reactions. It would be a great promotional event for the book. Make <laughs> <laughs> this happen. Okay. I was gonna say I already spend enough on therapy. I don't need to like <laughs> that I'm not watching all the horror films in a row. Uh, I'll never get out from under that. <laughs> but maybe, maybe if I could, that, that'd be uh, yeah. There'd be a lot of this. The whole yeah. live stream will be this. It'll just be me hiding my. But eyes. I want to hear what Rob's theory was on why we said it. Yeah, next that's three. why I want. That's oh, what I um, my theory was that uh, it would be a personal time for one of you or if not both of you, to reflect fondly, and also because of Friday the 13th, and it's a, it's a camp filler. That was that was really the extent of my, my thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was a lot of that, but also things. Yeah. I have deep thoughts all week long. They're, I keep both <laughs> off the show. That's <laughs> This is the free show. You, you don't get the deep thoughts for free. <laughs> well, I did want to ask, because you, you mentioned, you know, um, uh, your, your therapist, you mentioned... Uh, how we're trying to figure out promotional events because you're launching a book. Uh, and I always point out that when we, when we do this, uh, when we talk about the elephant in the room, it's May 19th is when we're recording this. So anything uh, historical that's happened after May 19th, we don't know about. Um, the aliens didn't land until May 25th. No idea that that happened. Uh, and why not? They're, they're crashing in Mage Brazil this week has been the big news I've been following. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the, the coronavirus. My God, tell me about the crash flying saucer in Brazil. Um, but I do want to ask about launching during quarantine uh, and also how, that, how that's impacting your launch, how you're finding ways to promote, and also how that's impacting your writing. And it's up to you who wants to go first. I'm going to go first. Fair because, enough. Because um, <laughs> I... <laughs> you know we we actually had a we actually had a a zoom the only zoom we've ever had in our entire career um to discuss how we were going to do marketing for can't murder face because obviously things are so so different and it was we decided that you know we knew that we were going to be on your show and thank you for having us um and we had planned to put together like a short run podcast series where we ask other authors to tell us like the scary story from when they were a kid or their camp story something like that um but like all of the things that we had originally planned way back in the beginning we can't do them um and we were like well 
maybe we can get into a whole bunch of classrooms or maybe we can do a whole bunch of online events. And it ended up being a really sad conversation because ultimately we both kind of realized it's like, you know, kids are already on the internet in classroom all day long. And the last thing they want to do is come to another class like event in their free time. And it's just really tough because I mean, Anytime that you write a book and sell it, it's like, well, maybe this will be the big one. And Josh and I have joked about how these books are going to make us bazillionaires and they're going to ask us to write 47 of them and everything else. And, and, you know, some of it was jokes, but there's, you know, a lot of wishful thinking in that too. Oh, don't forget your old friend, Little Grey Ninja, when all that happens. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, to realize that the book is going to come out and knowing that middle grade is is driven so much by libraries which are closed and schools which are closed um you know it does there uh, for me anyway i mean there is you know a, me- a measure of grief that goes with this because we were so so excited about getting to launch this and like you know, we were planning like, you know, camp overnight in the library events and maybe we can hook up with this summer camp and like all kinds of stuff or like, you know, doing a small tour and like, you know, starting in Pennsylvania and ending, you know, in Bethlehem and ending in Indianapolis and Indiana. And it just all went away. And there, I mean, there was nothing that we could do about it. And we drafted a lot of Murder Face 2 um, right as everything was starting to shut down because I think it was in February that our editor was like, could you guys have this done by May 1st? And uh, in February, we were all like, sure, no problem. And then the world just stopped and it was really hard. It was really hard to write that book and to be joyful about it. There were a lot of early chapters that we both rewrote a lot of stuff because you could tell that we were sad when we were writing them and it's like, but the characters don't have to be sad. So, you know, I think that we're, I mean, we had plans to buy a t-shirt cannon. I mean, a t-shirt cannon. That could still happen. That is happening. You could, you could, <laughs> you could drive by and have kids stand outside and just shoot at them with a cannon. <laughs> That's socially uh, six feet apart, socially distant. Socially distant. Social distance t-shirt cannoning. Swag delivery. There's nothing overly personal about a cannon. I would say that that would be. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, things things have changed a lot. And, you know, so now we're trying to do the stuff that we think that people would enjoy doing anyway. Like, you know, listening to your favorite authors talk about ghost stories. Or, you know, watching a or listening to a podcast like yours that people were enjoying anyway, rather than trying to basically shove more what might feel like classroom down a bunch of kids' throats who are already going through so much. Um, But, you know, there was, I mean, for, you know, there was that grief that is like, you know, this goofy, happy thing that we came up with in a truly goofy and happy time is now coming out now and my i mean my hope is that you know even if they don't want to watch a zoom about it that they do want to go to a haunted camp and quit thinking about all of this so that's that's my hope that's right nice paper book comes in handy because i'd I'd become a snob 
and was was uh, hauling my uh, Kindle around prior to quarantine. But now I'm online interfacing with everybody all the time. And and my God, when work's done and it's book time, give me give me the paper. <laughs> give me away <laughs> from the screen. I'm sorry, Josh. I wanted to, to give you a chance to to chime in as well. What's what's been your experience with this? I mean that. Uh, I feel like every writer's had a different experience during this time period because to some, at first thought, it, it may think, "Hey, well, that's a good time to have a deadline." <laughs> is when you're trapped in the house, you know? Like, uh, what better time to be on deadline? But first of all, if your mind is not in the right place, then that's hard. And second of all, if you have a job like mine, um, you're always on, kind of like, and even when the building's closed, there's like, the work day is like so blurred now, like, you know, you don't know, like, you don't know when anything <laughs> happens, like, it just your phone goes at different times and emails and who knows what. So it's it's very like, um, it's very, very disorienting this whole time period, I'm sure for lots of people, myself included. And um I think that, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's like, Josh, I think we might have lost you for a moment. Oh, no. Come back, Josh. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, he's really gone. <laughs> well, I will tell you that there was one point, um, because he's the director of the Bethlehem Public Library. Um, and I, you know, my wife works at the Indianapolis Public Library. And so, like, you know, I've been, like, kind of comparing and contrasting some of the things that they've been doing. And um, before Josh's library actually shut down, there was a meeting with a handful of people, like, you know, the mayor and other people from the city-county building. And uh, somebody turned to him and said, so uh, what do you think they're thinking about doing at the library? And Josh is like in his head going, I am the one who's thinking the thing. Like he's ultimately the one who's responsible for all of the decisions that are made about the Bethlehem Public Library. So, you know, while certainly things have been kind of tough for me because I'm worried about like my family and I'm worried about, you know, you know, trying to make sure that everybody gets groceries and you know, to make sure that the grownups and, you know, my my aunt, my mom, you know, are not going out to the grocery store. Um, Josh literally has hundreds of people's jobs in his hands. And he has a huge responsibility when it comes to, you know, the the well-being of, of his employees and of his patrons. And especially because they do lots and lots of stuff with kids in his libraries. So, you know, Josh is, I've watched Josh and I mean, the fact that he managed to continue to write Murder Face while also managing, you know, a city's entire public library system uh, during this has been phenomenal. I mean, I don't know how he's done it. I really don't because he has had so many big things on his mind. Um that you know to try and then turn that off and sit down and let's be funny and let's be scary and get things down we're gonna do that um and i'll tell you what some of the things that i've seen him do is you know because he doesn't necessarily have the luxury of well i'm like if i feel like sitting down and writing i can sit down and write almost any time 
Um, he doesn't have that luxury, but like I will see him in the document and he will be like making bullet points of, and sometimes it's like just like bullet points of dialogue or it's like bullet points of this is going to happen. And all the time that he's working as the director of this library system, he's he's also working so hard on, on this middle grade novel at the same time. And um, well, now he officially left. I wonder if he's going to come back. Ah, uh, we'll give him a moment, and if not, we'll we'll, we'll get him back. <gasps> there he uh, is. Yet, hey, Josh has returned. Oh, hooray! <laughs> but anyway, so like I was saying, Josh is a big yeah. doofus, and he yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. work at all. <laughs> like you're saying, Cassandra was telling us about your substance abuse issues and your <laughs> your previous your previous crimes. It was pretty bad. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but seriously, I was actually, I was talking about how hard you have worked, you know, because you're responsible for an entire library system and at the same time responsible for putting down words on, you know, a, a very silly, sometimes scary book, you know, and that I've seen you, you know, putting down like your bullet points of, you know, this is kind of where I think I'm going to go and like sketching in your chapters and stuff like that. And just how much I admire the amount of thinking that you have had to do. Um, Cause you know, my life did not change super a lot, except there were a lot more people in my house. Your life has changed radically. So um, it means a lot that, that you were able to continue to go to the murder, murder, murder face place with me. Yeah. And all I was going to say before my phone died, sorry about that was, um, was that I think for me, it was, it has been during this, past couple months anyway what i hope it'll be for readers like writing the second book has been this sort of like you know with everything else that's going on in my life and in the news and in the world whatever it's just like well for part of the day i'm just going to focus down on camp murder face and spend some time there and spend some time in a different world and um you know and that has been a nice it's, it's hard to focus sometimes but like it's 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 been a nice like other thing to focus on you know so and it is. It's always, it's always, it's always fun. Like this project is always fun. Like it does not feel like work very much. I mean, there are days that I don't feel like writing. Like to be honest, I'm like, well, it's great for me to have a partner who's like sitting there waiting for the words because it keeps me honest, you know. But uh, but it so um, for the for the most part, it's it, it, it's it's fun. Yeah, and you see, it is funny to like share it with someone because Sean just sees like the Bessie's like sometimes I'll just write totally dumb uh, <laughs> <laughs> the kitty. Sometimes I'll I'll just or sometimes I'll just write bullet points or sometimes I'll just write the most boring sentences just to move the plot along and like I just have to trust that like uh uh you know that Sandra knows like I'll go back and make it better. But like, you know, it's it's a it's it's a funny experience sometimes having like having someone see your first ugly draft all the way through, but you know, there's a matter of trust there now. So, um, yeah. cause I mean, you're seeing my first ugly draft too. And it's always like, I write very dry when I'm very first starting. Like I go through and I'm like, all right, this is all the stuff that happened. <laughs> and then I have to go back and add like the sensory detail and like, you know, try and make the sentences, fun as opposed to and here's a laundry list of this chapter yeah but sometimes yeah right that's like uh sometimes you just think of one of my you know when I, it's funny because i haven't read a lot of stephen king's fiction because it scares me but i do really like his book on writing 
And uh, that is one of my favorite craft books. And he does say that. And I, you know, sometimes it's just literally just, and then the guy walks across the room. Like sometimes he just has to get across the room. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's exact quote, but it's something like that. He's like, it's okay just to write the most boring things just to move it to the next thing. And then you can go and dress that up and, 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 and make it better and better and better. But you, sometimes you just have to just move it along. Yeah. So, sometimes uh, the guy just has to walk across the room. Yeah, he just has to get there. So, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's been, it's been a good experience. It's been, it is, it's been really fun. Even the days that it feels like I don't necessarily know if I have it in me or not. Like, uh, it, it ends up being, um, ends up being fun so a shout out to, to stevie king who definitely definitely needs it um but <laughs> yeah to point out that despite all of his early success despite the, those prime writing years of the 80s that guy still got it the institute my god it's among his best that was a year ago i've i've got if it bleeds on my uh, audio uh, file. i haven't got to it because i've got another podcast i'm doing this week and i'm 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 responsibly reading but by god as soon as uh, as soon as i'm done all the 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 reading that i i for sure have to do and want to do um i if it bleeds i, I can't wait so there you go mr king free commercial just for you thank god yeah. uh commercial Feel free for to do the same. yeah <laughs> I, I think there was a new hunger games came out today so susan collins there you go yeah. shout out to you feel free to give us uh, a shout out I'm watching our, our time fly by, and I know we're we're getting late, and it's probably about time to start thinking about calling this a day while it's still fun. But by God, I try never to make a promise to esteemed audience, and I promised we would talk about uh, Sandra being a phone psychic. So, Sandra, what was your experience <laughs> being a phone psychic, and also, are you psychic? Um, uh, I think I'm psychic in the way that people who pay attention to other people are psychic. Um you know, we spend a lot of our time socialized, like not to notice, you know, because if somebody says, you know, hi, how are you? They don't expect you to actually say how you are. You know, there's a lot of, you know, polite. And, um, you know, always, I've always been interested in the fact that, you know, if you're really paying attention, you know, you can sometimes tell when people are lying about now. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. Um, you know, Josh actually mentioned it earlier that sometimes I can just tell by the way he's typing that things are not okay. Um, I can actually do that with my best friend too. It's like, you know, like I know that if she has not used an exclamation point or if she says, Hey, instead of Hey, yeah, I know that, you know, I know that she's not okay. I know there's something going on. Um, so you did. Now you know, she's listening to this, and from now on, she'll make sure she always says, "Hey, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> um, I like I like that you're a punctuation you're a punctuation psychic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly what that means, but uh, I still like that's what you are. Punctuation. <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's just it's it's paying attention to you know how people generally are and and noticing when things deviate from that um and that's what a lot of psychics including phone psychics are doing there you know when we talk about cold reading you know it's you're not necessarily talking to somebody that you know but you do know one thing when somebody comes to a psychic which is either they want to find out if you're psychic or there's something going on and they want somebody to talk to you about it um, 
I was a phone psychic for a long time in the 90s. And I, I, you know, I would go through the obligatory, you know, I would pull out my tarot cards and da, da, da. but people tell you everything that they need to know that, that you need to know to actually be a good phone psychic. And um, what's interesting is that there's also this thing called, um, you know, the bias of confirmation. Um, I can make a bunch of guesses if I make them gently enough. And, it, you know, if I say your mother's name is Sharon. Well, you know, your mom's name is not Sharon, but I can say, you know, is there an older woman in your life? And like, if you were just with your mom, wow, yeah, yeah, there, there is. Or, you know, if you were just with your great aunt, you know, that kind of thing. Or if your great aunt died, you're like, no, she died. It's like, oh, I can tell that she's weighing heavily on your mind. It's very much kind of like an improvisational piece where you pay attention to what people say you repeat back the things that they tell you because they'll, I mean, they'll tell you all kinds of, they'll sit there and tell you their whole life story. And then, you know, they will ask their question and I'll say, like, well, I think that the relationship that you had maybe with a male figure in your life is what made you reach for love. And they're like, that's so true. I always wanted my dad's love. And I've always, and it's like, you just told me you just told me but they don't remember that part they don't remember everything that they tell you um you know and and quite frankly even the gotcha people you can sometimes get them back simply by listening to the things that they you can tell when somebody's lying to you you know if you're paying really close attention it's like so is there a woman in your life yeah there's a really important woman in my life ha 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 you know um but, you know, as a phone psychic back then, when you couldn't get everything for free on the Internet, um, people would pay, you know, four ninety nine and five ninety nine, you know, for the first minute and then like two ninety nine for each additional minute. And um, my job was not to be a psychic, but it was to keep people on the phone as long as possible. And the longer I kept them on the phone, the more money that I would make. And. Nine times out of ten, if somebody's calling a phone psychic at midnight, they straight up, they, just, they either want somebody to talk to or they want somebody to tell them that they are making the right decision. Like, you know, so am I doing the right thing about my boyfriend? It's like the boyfriend that cheated on you four times with your own mother. Yes, it's totally the right thing to dump him. Excellent decision making. You're in the right place. But you don't want to tell them like the first five minutes, right? That 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 insight comes at 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> I don't have to talk for 90 minutes, but they will talk for 90 minutes. <laughs> um, or it's just a lot of times it's it's people who are lonely and like they don't even they don't care about the psychic reading. They just they know that as long as they stay on the line, you're gonna stay on the line with them. And um I, I ultimately quit that job. It, it, I tell people that it's like the saddest job in the world um, because I had, you know, an older woman call me at one point and she was one of the ones she's like, don't even worry about the cards, honey. And she just she just wanted to talk about her day and what the weather was like and what, you know, the cat that she would feed on the back porch hadn't been around and she was worried about the cat and on and on and on. And I'm just like, cha-ching. Because, I mean, she, I mean, she was like a champion talker. I mean, this was like, you know, A plus, I was going to get so much money off of this call. And then we had probably been on the phone for, I don't know, 90 minutes at that point. And she said, hold on a second. And so 
she's gone for a moment and then she comes back and she whispers and she says my son just got here i'm not supposed to be calling these lines hold on i'll call you back from my other phone and she hung up and i'm like oh my god because this was obviously somebody who has been doing this a lot to their own detriment to the point where her son knows that she has been spending who knows how much on phone psychics because I don't pretend that I was the only one that she was calling because I'm sure she had plenty of stuff to talk about in the afternoon to somebody else. And I just, I could not pick up the phone again after that because that was the point at which I realized like as many people as there were who just wanted me to say, yes, you're making the right decision. There were those lonely people who just wanted to talk and I was not helping them by listening that I was actively hurting them. And so I, that was the last phone psychic call I ever took. Um, so it was a very weird job. Um, it uh, was again, one of the, one of those jobs that actually paid more than min, more than minimum wage um, being, you know, a high school, just having a high school diploma. And it was something that I could do at home so that I could take care of my kids. So, you know, I do more psychic work, just hanging out with my friends <laughs> than I ever did on the, on the phone psychic line. So, you know, I think that anybody can be psychic, but I do think that there are some people who do have just a little bit more. And I don't know if it's just that they have managed to like tweak a little part of their brain um, differently, or if they're still in possession of like, you know, a preternatural sense that we had way back when we were crow magnet and they just happened to hold on to it or what. But, um, I mean, there are people that I have met that are, have been like, you know, and I know your mother's name is Sharon. And it's like, okay. Um, nobody's name is Sharon, by the way. So <laughs> don't try hacking anybody's password here. <laughs> but that's that's the phone psychics. I'm, I'm a punctuation psychic with my friends. <laughs> um, and I was Sharon just... forever is actually my password for everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know... The phone psychic job was it, it, it was a job that I could do at home and, and was real easy until it was suddenly very not. Well, honestly, those folks then would call customer service, which is where I was working early on, uh, and would talk my ear off while I'm just trying to give them information about their, their financial accounts. So in a way, although not great for them, you were performing a service for me and all the other customer service folks who then weren't having to have the conversation. <laughs> Plus, I mean... To be fair, my job was to keep them on the line as possible. Your job was to get them off the line as quickly as possible. So, yeah. and you know, sometimes, it up sometimes it, those but... folks, sometimes those folks do call libraries too. So, I I know some of the same people. Wait, though, Ugh. while we have you, while we have you, Rob, have you ever seen a ghost? Oh wow, you. You must be psychic because that was literally my next question to you was, have you seen ghosts and or flying saucers? Um, I have uh, told five lies since the side of this podcast. What were they? No, dude. Um, <laughs> I have never one, seen a ghost. Um, one, people, that you like any book better than ours. <laughs> two, that you better you read anybody book. else on the show but us. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, ghost. Uh, I have not seen a ghost personally, but I have also not seen a flying saucer, tragically, but I have people close enough to me who've seen both that I remain completely open-minded 
Um, but flying saucers more, more so than ever, because my God, the, the news that's buried underneath the daily headlines of the stupid things that the president keeps saying. Um, uh, the Pentagon's releasing videos. My God, we've got uh, the crash going on in, in Mage, Brazil. All kinds of fun stuff happening. Uh, so, okay, your turn. Um, Josh, I feel like it's been a minute since we heard from you. Have you seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? No, I, I never have. But Son. I, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I've been in situations in my life where I completely understand why someone would believe that they saw a ghost, if that makes sense. Like, I've had experiences where I, I, I was like, I think I just saw something, like, ghostly, right? And then I stopped and realized, like, what was going on in my head at the time. And I was able to kind of, like, think it through, like, well, that was probably a natural phenomenon that you imbued with supernatural uh, power because you are feeling something very strong that you can't uh, make sense of in your head. So, like, I've had it, like, if that makes sense. Like, or I've you talked like, yourself like, down from the genuine event that occurred in your life. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I did. In other words, yes. <laughs> in other words, yes, I've seen ghosts. I just talked myself out of believing it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Sandra, same question. Um, I've seen a handful of things. Um, but the one that I like to share is it was Thanksgiving giving at my grandmother's house. I was probably seven or eight and my brother was two years younger than I was. And we were the youngest grandkids out of like 13. So like no one wanted to play with us. So it was me and Matt. And um, it was an older house that had stairs, like these super narrow, super high stairs that went up to what used to be an um, but they had made it over kind of into a small apartment. And that was where one of the only, where like the big bathroom in the house was. There was like a little weird one right off the kitchen. But of course, all the grown-ups were working in the kitchen and we weren't allowed in the kitchen. Um, and so Matt and I were, we had originally gone upstairs to go to the bathroom. And so then we were goofing around upstairs in this attic apartment. There was nobody that lived there anymore. Um, so, you know, like there were boxes and stuff like that. And the way that the house was built, it was one of the old Sears kit houses. And so there was a closet that also functioned as a wall between like the front room and the, the back bedroom. And there was a door on, on this side that went straight through the closet into the other room. And then there was the doorway on this side that went straight through into the other room. And my brother and I split off at the same time and I went through the closet and Matt went through the door. And when we came out on the other side, there was this old guy we had never seen before sitting by the window. And then we screamed and freaked out and ran downstairs. I mean, ran screaming down the stairs, went into the kitchen that we were not allowed to be in. And we told them that there was there was a man upstairs by the window and he we didn't know who he was and everything else. And so all of the grown-ups got all wound up and they went upstairs to go investigate it. And there's nobody up there. And um, we got spanked for lying 
but I know that there was something there because both of us came through those doors at the same time. We were not, we were like chasing each other. We were not like telling each other ghost stories or anything. We had just been running around because we were the youngest kids at Thanksgiving and there was nothing else to do. We came through those doors at the same time, saw the same thing, both knew that it didn't fit and consistently told stories to the grown-ups downstairs who plainly did not believe us because we got spanked. But it bothered my grandmother enough that she talked to the neighbors um, who had lived there before they had moved in to the house. And it turned out that the family before them, the grandfather, stayed up in that attic because that is where he could see the persimmon trees out back when they would bloom and when they would fruit and stuff like that. And he, that's, he liked to be up there and he died in that room. So I have seen a thing and I did not see it by myself. Sounds a hundred percent to me. There we are. Confirmation. (laughs) Ghost exists people. There is hope. (laughs) (laughs) I've cleared that up for all time now. Was this in Indiana? Was this in Indiana? Yeah, this was in Indiana. So yeah, ghosts, ghosts exist in Indiana. Yes, just in Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Since all the corn breeds them. Uh, wouldn't events become a thing again if you if you I'm sure you've bumped into Francesca's Zappia out and about at an oh, Indiana yeah, event. Oh, sister, now, when we uh, did our podcast, she was recording from a haunted house. She's got all the best ghost stories. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to have to talk to her. And see, that was another thing that I wanted to do is I wanted, like, you know, because we were going to do, like, a renewed push of, of marketing around Halloween. <laughs> and I wanted to take Josh to a, a real haunted house. And I don't think I'm going to get to this oh, year. Good. Josh looks so disappointed. See how uncomfortable <laughs> Josh is now. He's like, <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. I know there's there's reasons why these things are the way they are, um, and this will be more of a complaint than a question. But I don't understand why, with a book that's set in 1983, that book is not going to be less relevant suddenly next year or the year after. I mean, it's it's dated from launch. So I don't understand why these, why some of these marketing events can't happen a year from now, two years from now, whenever, uh, five years from now, whenever quarantine ends. I mean, certainly they could. It's it's just a question of how long the book stays in print. Because unfortunately, if it doesn't initially sell well, since they went ahead and put it out on this date, um, you know, it might go out of print. And so it might not be around for us to do events. But we're going to hope that that's not the case. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, let's end on a cheerier note. <laughs> My last uh, question is always some variation of this, and I'm going to ask uh, both of you. Okay. Uh, if there was one or two bits of advice you could go back and give yourself at the start of your writing career that would have made things significantly easier for you and might things might make things easier for all those uh, authors and aspiring authors listening now, um, Josh, what would you go back and tell yourself? Man, Man, that is a good question. And um, I, I wish that I could um, 
tell myself like it's like kind of cliche i guess but just to enjoy it a little bit <laughs> i'm not super good at that like when good things happened in the beginning my first thought is like oh i hope i don't screw this up you know instead of thinking like you should stop and enjoy this right now while it is happening because i'm the kind of person who can take good news and turn it into bad news like in my own head you know and um it's just such a uh un like Sandra mentioned earlier, it's such a, it's like playing the lottery. It's such like a crazy business that you don't know what's going to happen. And when something good happens, like it's okay just to celebrate it and just to enjoy it and just to not worry about what it means or worry about what it means for the next phase. I had a lot of really good stuff happen with my first book and I didn't realize how lucky I was. And I didn't, and I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have because, uh, because I was always worried about what's next. So, that's advice for life in general, I guess, you know, uh, but definitely in the writing world, you can't predict what's coming. So, you know, give yourself the give yourself the freedom to um, enjoy it while it's happening. There's nothing wrong with with that. And Sandra, same question. Um, you know, for people who aren't agented yet, who are still like working their way into it, um, stop worrying about the market. Just write write the book that you really, really mean, because um, nobody has ever responded to, wow, this was exactly formulaic in the way that I wanted it to be. Um, people enjoy bad books because they respond to the sincerity in it. I mean, um, everybody likes to bag on Twilight, and maybe Stephanie Meyer is not, you know, William Shakespeare, but she meant the heck out of those books. And people responded to that. And she basically made our careers possible. Um, you know, and that she's was a boosted all the unfortunate authors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's got a new book coming out, too. That's good. Um, I'm sorry. But, but, but for people who, you know, are now, you know, have sold a book and they're, you know, they're working through the business part of it. Um, it's really important to remember the difference between the business and the not business. Um because this is, you know, your art time is when you write that book. After that, once you say, I'm going to sell this book, now you're in business. And you need to think like a business person. And you need to remember that you are in the business of protecting yourself as a writer. And the company is in the interest of protecting themselves as a company. So it's important really to, you know, to have somebody who can advocate for you effectively. And it's important for you to realize that being a nice person and, you know, being a person that your editor enjoys, they're not going to buy your next book because you're a nice person who turns things in on time. They're going to buy your next book because they can sell it. And so, you know, you have to treat the business part of this business like business even if it is playing the lottery for a living um you know you still have to to think don't like there will be plenty of people who will try and talk you out of things um who will try to convince you that it's okay to oh it's fine to take a lesser advance if you really like a different editor screw that you can learn to like an editor you cannot spend money they did not give you and if somebody offered you that much money, that's how much money your book was worth. Um, and also, your copy editor is not out to get you. Um, 
<laughs> that's the less serious one. But but seriously, just remember that once, you know, that even though we talk about this job in, in romantic terms, and it is it is a beautiful and romantic and magical business that's full of art, but it is a business that's full of art. And you have to advocate for yourself and you have to remember that you're in business for you. You're not in business for a publishing company. That's an excellent note to end on. We've done it. What an incredible podcast. Uh, remind esteemed audience Yay. where they can find you online and, and, and stalk you on Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, Josh. Uh, I'm Josh Burke Books. That's my website name and that's my Twitter profile. Um, we made something pretty cool on campmurderface.com, which is a little like um, old school like Nintendo style video game out of the characters in the book. It's a real mini game. It takes like like a minute to play it, but you can play as either Tez or Corinne and jump your way through um, the haunted camp and get to the end. And uh, that is like just one of the like just weird ideas that we had. And uh, it's just so funny how it came together. I just know some people who work in that world and they, they designed and programmed this little game for us. So cameraface.com is a super fun little mini game. Um, Josh Burke books is a way if you want to say hi online uh be happy to happy to say hi back <laughs> um also on campmurderface.com is a video we made the first time we actually met each other in person um and we were like okay well we've had tacos and so now we're in a city that neither of us lives in let's run through this hotel and make a random video about our book. And so we did it's completely unscripted. We made it on our phones. It's very silly. Um, I am currently on a Twitter hiatus because sometimes I just have to walk away from the news so that I don't have a stroke. Um, but normally you can find me on Twitter um, at Sandra Mitchell. If you want to check out my Instagram, it's Sandra Mitchell. It's S Mitchell books. Um, however, my Instagram is really only interesting if you like pictures of food that I have cooked. Um, I like to bake, I like to cook, and I like to take pictures of the food that I cooked. So uh, you can also find me on my website, which is sondramitchell.com. And uh, I think that's everywhere. That I, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, but I lost the password years ago. And um <laughs> They continue to send me updates, but they won't let me reset the password. So don't feel bad if you add me on LinkedIn and I don't reply. I haven't been able to reply to anybody for six years on LinkedIn. Because that's where all the middle grade readers are, is on LinkedIn. <laughs> Very popular with, with you know the sixth grade set. I get people send me freelance uh, stuff through LinkedIn. You know, hurt. <laughs> Can I give one more... Yeah. Uh, can I give one more piece of advice? One no, I'm sorry about the time. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to just sap it up at the end and say, like, to other authors just getting started, is like the other authors out there, uh, you know, they're not your competition. Like, they're your colleagues, and um, and sometimes they become like your best friends. So, you know, you never know where that friendship might go and what beautiful collaborations might come out of it. So I'm really thankful to people like Sandra who were like, you know, so kind to me in the very, very beginning days. And, uh, you know, it's allowed us to sort of be 
have a collegial because uh, it's a lonely business, you know. And so we we become each other's coworkers, and then and then you know when we became friends in 2010, it wasn't with the thought that hey maybe our careers will benefit from knowing one another and we'll get to publish a book together. It's nothing like that. It's just it's just uh, we're all in this together. So yeah. uh, you know, good things happen when we keep that in mind. Yeah, sapped it up. The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much to both of you for making the time. Uh, Thank you you uh, to esteemed audience. Uh, Don't forget, esteemed audience, keep uh, tabs on the show at littlegradeninja.com. Find out who's coming on. Get your entire back catalog. Get all those written interviews I mentioned. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. It will make you a better human. And God willing, I'm alive. I will see you next week. 